Greetings. Welcome to the Asana Kitchen podcast. I'm David Garig. And before we get started, just want to tell you I have an, a new upcoming online course, a new book, and a new app. Okay, and they're, they're all related. Okay, so the book is called Teaching Yoga with Verbal Cues. And, and, so the, and the app is a version of the book. And, it, and so it's got it's the primary series. So it's a, our giving a very concise and magical, technical and magical verbal cues for each pose in the primary series. Okay, and so in the app, on the app, I, um, there's a language component, okay, an audio. So I give two different versions, a, a kind of shorter abbreviated and then a more uh, in-depth version of each posture. Okay, and so those are available worldwide. Well, one is the app is a download, but the book itself, you can order it um, through my website or through uh, Amazon all over the world. Okay, and then the course is called Asana Adjustments, and it's about the combination between physical adjustments and verbal adjustments. It's four Saturdays in a row starting August 28th. Okay, and um, it meets for four hours, and you can do it live or uh, with the recording. Okay, and so really hope you decide to join me in that course. And the podcast that I'm going to give today is very related to the course, the book, and the app. Today's topic is uh, adjustments. Okay, and... So, just want to talk about that. Uh, give you a little setup first on the the place of adjustments in Ashtanga, okay? And or even back up a tiny bit further and just summarize Ashtanga, okay? So, because to me Ashtanga is a near perfect uh, yoga system. Hatha yoga system. Okay, so, and, and when, it's, when you say it's called a system or a method, right? And, and its purpose is to teach the student how to use the Hatha yoga. Okay, and uh, it's a very powerful method. Uh, and so what Hatha yoga is, is kind of open to discussion or, or interpretation, but I'm just going to tell you that it comprises four main things, okay? And uh, those are asana, pranayama, uh, mudras, and samadhi. Okay, so that's what, in, if you... Trying to be like, what is Hatha Yoga? Well, it's a practice of postures, right? Like we all know, because we do uh, Hatha Yoga. And, and asanas are the most visible and the most, kind of the largest aspect. Um, and then second is the breathing, okay, pranayama. And, uh, and then, and that becomes a little bit more subtle little less uh, easy to grab onto, and yet it's a big part of Hatha Yoga. Okay, and then third is mudras, which are um, energetic seals, 
And uh, the most famous mudras are bandhas, the three bandhas, Mula, Udhyana, and Jalantara Bandha. But there's all kinds of mudras in Hatha Yoga, and those are even more subtle than the breathing. Okay, and, and third is um, samadhi, which is the eighth limb. It means absorption. And, and what we mean by uh, hatha yoga is so, it's, it's meant to teach you to focus your mind. Okay, and it has all kinds of mind-focusing devices. All right, and so when we say ashtanga yoga is a system for learning hatha yoga, that's what he says. It, it's teaching you asanas. It's teaching you breathing, pranayama. It's teaching you mudras, and it's teaching you um, about this focusing. And it's doing a magnificent job of it. <laughs> like, um, kind of, if you if you think historically, you know, throughout throughout time and how hatha yoga has been practiced and taught, and even in the present moment. It's just an amazing system, okay? And um, me, I've, devo I've devoted more than half of my life uh, to it, I mean, wholly, because I'm constantly in awe of the system, okay? And, um, and but, but, so, but with every system, see, I go by this saying, every system of knowledge is also a system of ignorance. Okay, and so, so there's always blind spots to the system. And, um, and this is partly what I, I want to address today, is that, um, and, and within, so the blind spot that I want to address is more in the interpretation of the system, like how Ashtanga is taught and, um, and practiced. Uh, and it's in regards to adjustments. Okay, so to me, there's three ways to uh, adjust. And, and when, I, when, when I say adjust, I mean to, that both a self-adjustment, okay, so correcting or um, uh, kind of honing in your own posture, um, then there's adjusting somebody else, okay, like a teacher adjusting a student. All right, and there's three types. So one is physical. Okay, so you, you either uh, kind of, and obviously the physical one is not as useful if you're self-adjusting, but you can lay hands on yourself and, it, and physically adjust yourself. Um, but then, so there's physical adjustments, that, uh, that especially when a teacher adjusts a student. Then there's verbal adjustments, okay? And that's where you use your voice. Your, you use language to make a change in your position, in something about your asana, in your foundation, or your spinal uh, position, or something, okay? And then the third is uh, uh, props. Okay, so you can adjust by uh, bringing in some help, like a block or a, a wall or a table or a chair, or various things, right? Okay, and 
And see, with Ashtanga, what it's changing slowly, but the culture or the, the, the prevailing culture of Ashtanga is that you, only physical adjustments are permissible. Okay, so when you go to Mysore, you see on the wall silence. It's written everywhere because nobody can talk in the room. And, um, and so, and ver so verbal, verbalizing the practice, verbalizing an adjustment uh, is taboo. Can't, can't do it. And, um, and if you do do it, it's kind of uh, tolerated, maybe. But it's certainly not uh, singled out as an important, uh, essential aspect of uh, correcting or developing a pose, right? Okay, and then props. Ashtanga is famous for, ta uh, you know, rejecting, making props not okay. <clears throat> Okay, and so, and so to me, this is a big problem in Ashtanga. Big, uh, far-reaching problem. And that when I started Ashtanga so many years back in 1993, right, the, this was much more uh, the rigid rule. And now in 2021, it's starting to change, and there's plenty of um, pockets and teachers that are teaching with verbal cues and uh, with props. But in the overall thrust of the system, it's still not, not accepted. Um, okay, and so, and so, to me, this, is, this makes that beautiful system of um, hatha yoga much more difficult to, to access. Okay, this, this crazy little rule where you, you can't talk and you can't use props, they really limit your possibility for uh, extracting the, the benefits out of the practice. And so, so and I, I just want to talk to you about this some. Okay, and the thing is, is it's a funny aspect of Ashtanga because I feel like, you see, in a, in a pure yoga sense, the language, <laughs> language is to be left behind. Okay, like that the, the ultimate state of yoga is to be in the present moment and to basically leave language behind. It's kind of, you, it's to merge with the infinite or uh, kind of get into the flow of this eternal now to the point where there's absolutely no distinction between the subject and the object. Okay, so the moment you, you put words to something, you, there's distance between you and that thing, right? So. So, and Ashtanga is, you, it's a funny uh, method because it's so hardcore, <laughs> right? Com especially compared to other styles. Like, uh, it's, it's just uh, kind of daunting to people 
because it's so uh, sort of gung-ho and full-on. And, um, and the whole idea of not talking, it, it's, um, I feel that it's, it's part of that gung-ho-ness. And um, it's as though, like, somehow you shouldn't need to talk, and that talking's on this lower level, which is true, yogically speaking. Like, and so, so it's funny to me because as I, as over the years as a teacher and a practitioner, I've come to more and more verbalize the, the practice. And I've made an art out of um, the verbal instructions. And, um, but it still doesn't change that when I practice, I, I've, I'm always uh, walking this line or having this juxtaposition between um, what I call like intuition. Okay, so, because really when you, there is no, it's impossible to fully articulate the yoga. Okay, and um, so it's not even a goal. Like, it's, and in fact, language itself, trying to attach language to even the most basic things that you do with your body is quite um, complicating and um, a, gr a great challenge, actually. And, um, and, but, and so, in many ways, I prefer not to put language to what I do. Like when I'm in my body doing my yoga, <laughs> language does not belong. Okay, so I get it. I get it. And, and in some ways, language is a, uh, it's a crutch or it's a, it's a checklist. It's kind of like, I'll, I want, when I come out of my trance I, and I, I go through a kind of verbal checklist of um, safety things of like, am, are these things happening? Like, all right, am I using my legs and arms well in a way that um, optimally supports my spine? Is my pelvic positioning, um, is it forward? Is it neutral? Is it backwards? And where should it be? Like, Right, it's more of like a, uh, a sort of verification system, okay? And uh, it's, I liken it to, um, Alan Watts used to tell this story uh, that was kind of, where he was speaking about the limits of the rational mind, right? And, because this is what we're talking about partly, it's like sort of the rationality of, of yoga, like putting everything in language versus the, the more um, Zen kind of intuitive, just that you kind of grok the whole thing and, and do it. And, and this is how Ashtangis have operated in the, the kind of, you just grok the whole thing and do it. And, um, and so the, he likens, he, he says, you, he takes the example of the centipede. So a centipede has 100 legs, right? We, ha we have two and we have, have a time of it just negotiating our two legs, right? But imagine if you had 100 legs that you had to coordinate, right? Walking around. And the centipede is very uh, nimble, right? S very swift uh, and agile. 
<clears throat> and then, but, it, but Alan Watts, he says, if you, but if you asked him, if you're like stopped and you said, hey, buddy, how do you do that anyway? How do you walk on a hundred legs? And so, the, and the centipede, if he starts going, uh, he starts describing it. Well, let's see. So this first leg, I've got to put that one, and then the second leg has to come behind, right? Like, all of a sudden, he tri he's tripping and he can't even walk, <laughs> right? And so, so what I'm saying is I, I understand the problem of, of language, and, but there's some big differences between the centipede and the human being. And, and one is the centipede can't talk even if it wants to. Okay, but we can. And we, we've been given that equipment. Okay, and so it's a very essential part of our equipment to, um, to be able to verbalize and talk and um, put words to our experience. Okay, and uh, so those of you in the podcast land that are listening, I, I also have another group with me today um, that happens sort of spontaneously that's listening in. And um, their theme was supposed to be, somebody was supposed to give a talk, but I stepped in. But their theme was supposed to be about um, practicing during stressful times. Okay, and, and to me, the, this... The ability to verbalize your practice, okay, is, is crucial for practicing during stressful times, okay? So that it, it's a very big deal to, um, to be able to put words to your experience, okay? And, and it's an, to me, it's a necessary evolution of yoga. Okay, so that yoga, if you do yoga to go into a trance and to kind of drop behind all like rational thought and get into the flow of now, and that is your, that's it. It just stops there with, I practice, I go through this catharsis, I do my shavasana, and I walk off. Okay, that to me is uh, missing a gigantic part of the pie of the medicine, like the, the, the yoga medicine. And, and it's quite possible that in the past that was the ideal, okay? And that the idea of um, verbalizing, so, and, and by verbalizing, I mean uh, verbalizing the actual actions of what you are doing to, and to a very fine and precise degree, um, and but also verbalizing your feelings, like how you feel about what you are doing, like what comes up for you, what, what, what are those fears, what are those insecurities, what are those... Uh, feelings of failure, and the opposite. What are, what are those joys? What are those uh, moments of insight and, and inspiration that come to you? you? And so to me, this is key. And it's, 
it might, it's very possible that it's modern, okay? That it's like, in the past, yoga was not seen that way. <laughs> but I'm telling you that in now and going forward, it needs to be seen that way. And you need to see it that way if you want to grow and, and really have that technology um, serve you and, and get full command of it. You see, and it, is, it positively amazes me that uh, the, so the lineage, right? Who invented Ashtanga? Like there, uh, it's more than one person is kind of responsible for it, right? But the, those originators are not alive anymore, okay? And, and they had no idea of the gold that was contained within what they made. Right, that they, 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 they loved what they made, and they interpreted in in a certain way, but, but now it's time to interpret it, to go in there and find more gold, <laughs> and um, and that's why I say it's such an astounding uh, hatha yoga system because it truly is uh, set up to go in there and mine that um, the medicine, the, the, it has the ability to address the ailments, the sufferings of the human being in a major way, as a major component to a, to a preventative medicine. You see, because what I'm talking about is It doesn't come from the outside, okay? It's not a pill you take. It's not a surgery that you get. It's, it's a practice that you do each day and you win your health. Okay, but, but now I'm gonna back up a little bit though and get a little bit more practical um, and, and just look at this um, juxtaposition between physical adjustments, verbal adjustments, and props. Okay, and to me, the, the combination of the three is where the gold is. All right, so not the, uh, you don't only want verbal adjustments, just like you don't only want physical adjustments. Okay, and um, and this is tricky. Okay, so so it takes a lot of practice and repetition to learn physical adjustments. Okay, and so many uh, teachers, right? They they learn by being in the Mysore room six days a week with their students. Okay, and so again and again, they're giving the Marichyasana C adjustment or the Kurmasana adjustment or, what, or whatever they are. Okay, and you can say that in some ways that most teachers of Ashtanga and students are behind in the verbal department. Okay, and, um, and so you have to be patient. 
and, and so I've written this book. It's called Teaching Yoga with Verbal Cues, and it's for um, both students and teachers. But it's a very uh, excellent foundation it can give you. And it was based off the, the fact that I was terrified to teach yoga in the beginning, way, way back. And um, terrified to the point where I, I, I couldn't do it. And, um, and even for years afterwards, um, I used to get um, completely nervous every time I had to say the invocation. <laughs> but I still, I was stubborn. I stuck with it. But one of the things that I did is I, I took, I made flashcards out of the most basic asana actions like stamp your foot down in the triangle pose and externally rotate the femur in the hip socket and um, elongating the spine in the triangle from the tail to the head and rotating the chest. So these very um, technical cues, I wrote them down on flashcards. And I am recommending this for students and teachers of Ashtanga is to, even if you're not a teacher, you want to put the language to the actions that you are doing. And there's a beautiful kind of um, scouring process to me that happens that because, uh, in, so in, in some ways like the, uh, the mind, it works in pictures, okay? And so th there's a visualization aspect to doing a pose. And they, they, there's been a lot of studies on um, athletes and things uh, with visualization. And it's a pretty known fact that the better you can picture something, an action, a movement, then the more you're likely to be able to do it. Okay, and, um, and I would say that the same goes for verbalizing. Okay, so you'll really understand the leg actions, the arm actions, the spinal rotation actions of Marichyasana C or D if you can verbalize those um, actions um, kind of limb by limb, instruction by instruction. Okay, then you, when you can do that, you understand that pose and, um, and, and you understand how to practice it and you understand how to teach it. And you're, you better understand how to give an, a, a, a physical adjustment in that, uh, that pose. So I have an app of the book, uh, the teaching yoga with verbal cues, and it's designed as flashcards, the app. So you can like, you can see it and then try and then flip it and there will be the, you can see how you did. And the app has the audio as well. I've, I, um, I speak the, the instructions uh, in the app. I give a, a more basic version and then a more complex version. So yeah, and this is to me, like, like I said, that there's a, a kind of interesting alternating that you can do in your practice, like uh, between um, not verbalizing, because it's amazing to me how, um, so no, let me back up a little bit. 
So to me, that when you see in the Mysore room, you see the silence on the walls, right? That, like, it's, it seems, it's, I feel kind of mean in a way, like, criticizing that, except for, for this one point, okay? Because silence is, like I said, it is beautiful. It's, in some ways, it's the objective. Like, yes, a room full of yogis all doing their practice in silence, right? But the problem with that is that it assumes that all the yogis in the room have the knowledge that they need to be silent. You see, and this is where it breaks down, okay? Because when you look around, no one, almost no one has the knowledge they need to be silent, okay? And so, so there has to be this language um, component that first, okay? And, um, and as a practitioner, you, you have the ability to control that um, because uh, to me, like I, like I was just about to say, which is that I'm amazed at the, my body's own intelligence Right when I, when I'm just present and I'm not um, thinking in sentences, what, and watching my body organize itself and express a pose, it's extraordinary. It's and there there's so much, uh, so many things happening, so many activities happening that are. Um, in a way beyond the senses and beyond the mind, uh, or beyond the, the, the ability of the senses or the mind to, to articulate them, right? And, and you wouldn't even want to, right? Because that's part of the joy of it, is that it doesn't need language, right? And, and so, but at the same time, there's a, there's a, there's a joy in like, dialoguing, in like actually um, having different parts of you having conversations, like, because, every, so all these actions that are taking place within the body, they're happening in pairs of opposites. And, um, and I find it very engaging and fun to, um, to speak those, um, those actions. And whether it's out, Sometimes I even talk to myself, <laughs> but I'm talking about internally and, uh, and, and then going back and forth between those modes and, um, and having um, versatility and control in those, um, in those different modes of uh, kind of working on a pose. Even if the idea of really uh, going far in articulating the yoga practice is new. I'm not sure it's new, but let's suppose it's new. I, I definitely find um, different ways of um, seeing that the past has also honored uh, language. And so for one thing, I know Sarah is a big Hanuman fan, right? And um, so the, the group that's here with me, there's Sarah, 
Hatcher student. And so I'm showing this, um, this st statue of Hanuman. And one of the things I love about Hanuman is that he's known to be a, a master in diplomacy. Okay, like, uh, he's known as like, right, the strong monkey. He can fly across from Lanka, from India, the mainland of India to the island of Lanka. And so, but he's not as known for his, his ability to be just diplomatic. You see, and to me, this is at language. You have to be very nuanced and um, discerning and articulate um, and aware of finer points and uh, differences between um, kind of uh, potentially combative parties, right? So the, and this is uh, very important. So adjustments, they are, in a way, to me, they're, they're the art of diplomacy. Um, whether you're doing a verbal, I mean, whether you're, yeah, whether it's a verbal adjustment or a physical adjustment. Because, like we said, there's actions happen in pairs of opposites. So when you adjust somebody physically, you're going to show those pairs. Like, for instance, in, say, revolving triangle. One main pair of opposites is the legs stopping. So rooting the legs, and that, that fact of the legs rooting is what enables the spine to elongate and twist. Okay, and so if, and if you don't have that pair of opposites, so if you don't have the legs really doing their job, then the spine can't get that length and um, that beautiful rotation along its length. And it's tricky though, okay, because pairs of opposites are opposites, okay? And opposites can fight, right? They, they conflict, they don't see things, they see things directly differently, right? And so, so there's a, an art to uh, finding the middle ground that, that you're looking for. So you've got the kind of silent approach, the uh, physical adjustments without verbal language, and uh, kind of valuing silence. And then you've got the um, verbal, using language, talking, uh, you, giving commands, and uh, really communicating with your voice how to do the poses. Okay, and you could say that there's kind of, each has their benefits and each has their shadow. Okay, and, um, and this is why you want to use them in combination to each other. The, to me, this is the most powerful option. So it's not that you want either all silence or all verbal language, um, or, or all physical adjustments or all verbal adjustments. No, the, the combination is what makes, what makes it take off and, um, and magic and uh, empowerment and um, yogic growth happen. Okay, and so the, with Ashtanga and the, the sort of kind of, um, there's a seriousness or a, a given to tapas uh, aspect where, uh, and almost like a stoic silence where uh, language is, is shunned and um, seen as uh, distracting or egotistical Okay, and so the, 
but this, but there's a deep shadow to that, and um, Ashtanga has suffered from it, and because so partly the lack of um, communication, uh, it can lead to uh, sexual abuse and um, and physical abuse. Okay, and because. Uh, a lot of times the, the silence is, it's easier to hide behind that silence and, um, and frankly, to not show your lack of knowledge, okay? And so it's, it's uh, in Ashtanga, I feel that there's been many harmful adjustments that uh, don't belong, basically, and or uh, they need a more nuanced conversation in order to be safe. Like, um, I'll just give you a couple of examples. Uh, uh, one glaring example is this thing of having people walk in um, as far as they can in a, uh, in a backbend and then helping them to catch their ankles. Okay, and uh, this happens without uh, enough regard for the laws of mechanics of the body, for, for what should happen in the legs in a backbend, and the internal rotation and groundedness of the legs, and then what's happening through the, the spinal column and ensuring that you get an even arch. Okay, and so to me, the, the verbal language uh, and is essential. And uh, I will show you what I mean. So the, the verbal language is essential and the um, responding to when you cannot do what the verbal language is saying. Okay, so, and, what I, and responding means either changing your adjustment, like, um, or letting the, the, the kind of protocol for how to do a pose determine your physical adjustment or um, help you to tell the student how to modify. Okay, so in um, Urdhva Dhanurasana, so this book is um, Teaching Yoga with Verbal Cues, that's my new book, and um, you can see that the photo is showing the very nice leg actions where you've got the parallel thighs, you've got the knees lined up uh, right over the ankles. Okay, but often you see the the legs apart, especially when students are walking in and uh, going beyond their limit. Okay, and so like, um, so it says, um, when you come up, subtly shift your weight into your legs and vertically line up your, uh, your knees over your ankles. Okay, and then, um, then draw your knees towards each other and release your inner thighs down. So you're kind of getting this internal rotation move. And then, um, then subtly shift your weight towards your arms and work to vertically stack your shoulders, elbows, and wrists, okay, in a, in a, in a vertical line. Okay, and center your body equally between your, your hands and feet and your legs, the, the, the hands and feet, and the legs and arms. I don't know, it's, it's a hard conversation to have because it's so uh, entrenched in, in Ashtanga 
to give these adjustments without verbalizing, um, without verbalizing what you're doing in the adjustment or verbalizing what should be happening in the body um, that would, that's leading to the adjustment, okay? And, this, and so what I'm talking about is like I'm being a heretic in a way of like I'm calling kind of bull, bull on um, very standard practices of Ashtanga. And, um, and I'm doing it because my conscience is t tells me to, right? Is that I, this is wrong and this is harmful to students, okay? And, and it's the reason I've written the book and it's the, and it's the reason I slant the, my teachings the way that I do and I use modifications and props is because um, I try to understand what the pose is asking for. What is this shape asking for from the body? And, um, and I want to put that into language. I want to talk about the, the actions of the legs, the actions of the arms, the, the pelvic position, and then the spines. Uh, is the spine neutral? Is it a flexion? Is it a forward bend? Is it extension? And then if it's a back bend, if it's extension of the spine, then what, how are the legs and arms supposed to be positioned and what's their rotation of their, in the hip joints and the shoulder joints to support the, the extension of the spine or the flexion, okay? And so it's, it's absolutely essential. We get right down to the language of it and, um, and then let our adjustments uh, flow forth from, from there. And, what, and you get very dangerous um, proposition when you don't allow talking and you decide that like the objective in a backbend, your last backbend in Ashtanga is to catch your ankles, okay? And then, and no, no other variable matters. It's just when you get into that backbend, you try your darndness to walk your hands as close to your feet as possible and then someone's gonna even help you go further, okay? And there, that's just one example. It happens all throughout Ashtanga. And, um, and it's a shadow, okay? This is, there's real danger and potential problem that could easily be fixed. See, the, the incorporating um, very precise language that, that where you articulate the posture itself and then the physical adjustment, what, what it's trying to achieve, and you allow props because, because you have to take things in steps. Okay, so um, catching your ankles in a backbend is very um, possible for many people to do it in a healthy way. But to me, you have to go through a series of very... Um, clear steps in order to do it wholesomely. And um, they involve, it involves using the wall and using um, pads and slowly lowering yourself down so that you can maintain the integrity of your legs, the integrity of your pelvic position, the integrity of your spine and shoulders. So, and then you could say that there's a shadow side to the talking, which um, I sort of listed earlier just in passing, like, that everyone, you can say that we like the sound of our own voice, right? That we just talk, you know, and there's so much kind of externalization by, by talking. And in some ways, um, 
talking is theoretical, right? Whereas it's almost like the antithesis of experiencing. That you, and so talking about yoga is not doing yoga. It's not experiencing it. And so when, when the, the, the founder of Ashtanga says um, pra, yoga is 99% practice and 1% theory, it sounds like he might say, don't talk about yoga. Like, only talk about it this much. And, and the rest, you should be in there doing it and trying it. But, and, and that is possible, that you can uh, talk too much and that ego can get involved uh, in, in y using your voice. And, um, and so there is a shadow to the, the talking. And um, in a certain way, I, what I said earlier is that yoga, in yoga, we are headed towards silence. Okay, we're that talking is part of vritti. It's part of um, modifications of thought that are that are going on, and they're coming. They're they're in your head, and they're coming out. Okay, and you're trying to get to a state of no thought, and so there's no talking, no language, uh, no breaking up the world into bits, but rather experiencing the world in a kind of um, trance-like state as, as an entirety, okay? So no division between the subject and the object. But you have to understand that that state of samadhi, of the deep absorption, is like a passing state. That you, you go through, you, you go into that state, but then you come out and you, um, and you have to use language and props and um, breathing and all kinds of yoga techniques to kind of go back in there and come to these places of um, silence and stillness and uh, leave language behind only to come back to language again. And, um, and so it's very important right there in the asana to, um, to, to allow language to be there, verbal instruction. But, and then we've said further that it's, it's a deeper uh, thing, too, that uh, you're supposed to speak up and speak out, okay? And, uh, and partly, it's not a good dynamic when the student who's trying to learn cannot speak and um, kind of verbalize what they feel, uh, the, the relationship should not be set up that way, okay? And it's a, there's the possibility for harm there. And so, uh, need to be able to communicate how you're feeling in your posture and then how you're feeling in other areas of your life that, that are the, equally valuable or more valuable, like your important relationships or work environment. Right? So you've got to be able to um, speak out and stand up for yourself and know when something is not right and be able to address it or know when something is right and follow it. Okay, and so I, it's a very important subject that it's like, it's very important for the asanas themselves, but it's, the asanas are a microcosm that uh, reflect a greater um, kind of theme of your, your whole life. Okay, and so um, I'm encouraging Ashtangis to embrace the verbal, to go with the physical.
okay? And you want silence, but you also want um, uh, meaningful noise, <laughs> meaningful language to broken to alternate and to those two coming together to build an experience of yoga. So thank you for joining me for this installment of the Asana Kitchen podcast. Uh, so remember, I have my upcoming course, new book, a new app. You can find out about all of those on my website.